John. First John, chapter three. Last night we had uh, light the night. <clears throat> it was really more like stay out of the rain. Uh, <laughs> it went from like four to five thirty before the rains hit. And thank you to all those who participated in uh, touching our community for Jesus Christ. First John, chapter three. We are in this uh, series on 1 John, and the key passage that we're aiming toward, and we'll get there in the next couple of weeks, is 1 John chapter 5, where John is really speaking the truth that we know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came so we could recognize him as such and understand the truth of God. And this is an incredible gift. As we're looking toward the gift of Christmas, of Christ coming, this is it, that God's truth is revealed. And we are living in the truth itself, because we live in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Here's the key. Jesus is both true God and real life. True God and real life. We have a lot of false gods and fake life around us. A lot of things we say will give us life, but they don't in turn deliver on their promise. Jesus is the only one who is both true God in real life, and we need to be on guard against every other thing that might look like it, but is not. And there are a lot of fakes around. There are things that promise, but just, just don't, don't deliver. In the 1970s, there was a new phrase that was coined among psychologists called the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome, and research done in the 70s and 80s estimated that two out of every five, listen to this, two out of every five successful people consider themselves frauds, and other studies since that time have shown that 70% of all people feel like imposters at one time or another. This is especially true among people who are really famous, actors and actresses who feel like if somebody really sees the real them, they'll see that they're an imposter or a fraud, that really their success comes because they were at the right place or at the right time, not because they're really all that gifted or all that talented. Some of the actors and actresses and other famous people who have identified as having this syndrome are people like Emma Watson, who was in the Harry Potter series, famous actress, a writer for television by the name of Chuck Lorre, uh, business leader Sheryl Sandberg, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, and even scientist Albert Einstein, who a month before he died said to a friend, the exaggerated esteem in which my life work is held makes me very ill at ease. I feel compelled to think of myself as an involuntary swindler. This feeling that if somebody, if somebody really finds out who I really am, they're going to see I'm just faking it. I'm an imposter. I'm, this, I'm not real. For some people, this carries through to the point where they walk around with a spirit of rejection on them. And they act in a way that says, no one likes me, so therefore I'm going to act like no one likes me. And they control their rejection by setting themselves up for rejection. 
You may know somebody like this. And then when they are indeed rejected, they say, see, it's true. Other people respond in the opposite direction. They become incredibly successful. They press themselves forward. They try and make money or achieve a name, uh, wealth, prestige, but not because they necessarily love people or money or prestige, but because they're trying to find some sort of identity in what they do. It then carries through to our thoughts about God, saying, wait a minute. God really does know me. He knows everything about me. Surely he can't really love me. John's premise in this letter is that we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Loving God, loving one another. Things we've said at fullness thousand times over the history of our church that Christianity Excuse me, Christianity is in its basic nature relational, relationship with God, relationship with one, or, one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. In order to love God fully and each other freely, we have to at some point get over the condemnation that we feel within our hearts toward ourselves. That's what John's talking about today. Freedom to love and freedom from condemnation. Freedom to love and freedom from condemnation. This is a passage that has to do with prayer, entering God's presence, loving one another. And I really want to direct it because for many of us, we live in the constant prison of the self-condemnation of our heart. And John is going to tell you today that God is greater than your condemnation. God is greater than your heart. There's freedom in him. So let's look at this passage. 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. For, for some of you today, if you have your Bibles with you, you should just underline that verse. You should underline that first, that your heart condemns you, but God is greater than your heart. And he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. There it is again, love Jesus, love one another, love God, love each other. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in him. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. How to get freedom from condemnation. How to walk in freedom. What are the promises? How can we enter into God's presence with confidence? Let's look at this this morning. The first thing is we have have assurance for an unsure heart. You have assurance for an unsure heart. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now, for many of us, we know in our heads that God loves us. 
We know with our minds, intellectually, yes, God's word says he loves us, he, must, he loves us. But some gnawing in our hearts, this imposter syndrome that many of us battle with, our hearts are condemning us. And instead of leading with faith, we lead with the emotion of our hearts, what we feel. We think, how could God really know me and really love me at the same time? A prosecuting attorney called his first witness, who was a grandmotherly, elderly woman, to the stand. He approached and asked her, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? The elderly woman responded, well, yes, I, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot when you're really nothing more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yeah, I I know you. Stunned, the lawyer didn't know what else to do, and so he says, Miss Williams, do you know the defense attorney? (laughs) To which again she replied, well, yes, I do. I've I've known him since he was a youngster too. As a matter of fact, I used to babysit him for his parents. And he, too, has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy, bigoted. He has a drinking problem. The man can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yeah, I I know it. At this point, the judge bangs the gavel, tries to call the courtroom back to order, demands that the two attorneys approach the bench. When they get up to the bench... He says quietly, but with real menace in his voice, if either of you asks her if she knows me, I'm going to hold you in contempt. (laughs) Our hearts are many times like this elderly woman. Our hearts know us. They know what we're feeling, what we're thinking. We can't hide our hearts from ourselves. But the problem is our hearts, rather than helping us, many times condemn us. They don't do anything to really move us forward. The real truth, however, is not what our heart says about us, but what God says about us. The assurance that we walk in the truth of God is not, now listen to this, is not dependent upon ourselves. Our faith is not in ourselves. That's moralism. Again, we've talked about this week after week. Many of us think it's all about what I have to do to get God's pleasure. But no, it's all about what God's done for us. We receive what God's done for us. Therefore, our hearts can't condemn us because it's not about us. It's about him. A condemning heart or an accusing conscience will rob you of your destiny in the Lord. It'll rob you of peace and assurance. God is superior to our conscience. Let me give you two quick biblical examples. One, do you remember when um, Jesus goes to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? He stays at their home. Martha was busy preparing the meals, but Mary sat at Jesus' feet, listened to him teach. Martha was doing the good thing. Martha was doing work. 
she was working really hard. So she says to Jesus, hey, why don't you get my sister to help me? All she's doing is sitting there listening to you. But Jesus knew Mary's heart, and he defends her before her sister. See, it wasn't about doing. It was about the state of being in the presence of Christ. Another example, Peter denies Christ three times. You know the story. Uh, Can you imagine how his heart must have condemned him? After the crucifixion, then the resurrection, then here comes Jesus. Oh, my lands. I know he knows what I did. He told me I was going to do this before. I told him there's no way I die first. And I did. I, I mean, can you imagine the weight of the condemnation of his own heart on himself? Jesus, in several instances in Peter's life, does what's necessary to free him from the condemnation of his heart in order that his love relationship with Christ could be reestablished. I mean, if he hadn't, there's no way Peter could have had the boldness to stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach the gospel as he preached it. To preach. When Peter talks about forgiveness, Peter knows what he's talking about. Because Jesus restored his heart. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I love you. He really got down to it to free him from the condemnation of his heart. Be careful that the devil doesn't continually accuse you, which is his job, and rob you of the joy of the relationship with Jesus Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. Past, present, future. Your sins have been forgiven. Well, what, what, what does that mean if I go out and screw up tomorrow? Do you know that sin is already taken care of? Well, does that make me want to go out and sin tomorrow? No, no, no. Heaven forbid. That's not the point. When you do mess up tomorrow, which you will, Christ has already forgiven. His grace, his blood has already covered that. Rather than letting your heart condemn you, even for that, receive the forgiveness and the grace that comes from the Lord. You have feelings. Feelings are not bad. Feelings are good. Feelings are responses. Feelings are part of what it means to be human. When someone passes away or when things, you hear a beautiful piece of music or something happens in your life, you have emotions. This is not a stifling of emotions. But what this is, is saying, don't let your emotions drive you. Don't let them be in charge of the car. Rather, in faith, Christ is in charge and respond because your feelings will lie to you. Receive the truth about what God says about you. Your feelings will say, I'm sinful, lost, and condemned. But facts reply, you are justified by faith. Feelings might say, I I can't face my responsibilities. But fact can tell you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Feelings might say, I'm lonely and I'm afraid. But facts reply, Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Apostle John recognized that feelings can misrepresent facts. If you're living for the Lord, but feeling that you're not good enough, remind yourself that God is greater than your conscience. 
If your heart is condemning or attacking you, don't worry. God is greater than your heart. Hang on to this truth. We're going to come back to it at the close just for one second because I believe there are a lot of people who are still locked into this and we need freedom from a condemning heart. But let's move forward and look at the rest of the passage before we kind of tie it together. The second point is this. We receive answered prayers so that we can love freely. Verses 21 and 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we too have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. For many people, prayer feels like a prayer, like a request form before God. I just fill out my form, my request, I put it before God, there it is. I mean, it says it right there, right? I can ask anything in his name and he's going to give it to me. All right then. Now, some of us are smart enough to know, you know, this whole self-centered thing probably doesn't work well. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the young lady who prayed something like this, God, I'm not, I'm not asking for me, but could you send my, could you send my mother a son-in-law? I mean, we know how to pray kind of around the corner. Lord, I'm not really praying for me, but my wife really needs a new car kind of thing. We love this teaching that we have confidence in approaching God and asking for what is needed. But John sets it in a way that is in anything but selfish. When he says, we can ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him, Let me me just tell you briefly what I think John is not saying and then what I believe John is saying in this passage. He's not saying that if you simply obey the commands of God and do what he says, then God is going to give you what you ask for. This is that moralism we've been teaching that's not in the Bible. In other words, to say, okay, if I do God's commands and I love John Kerry, um, then... I can go to God and ask anything I want because I followed his commands. And if you understand my point, I'm I'm doing what God says and loving people in order that God is now obligated to meet my request for him. And that's the confidence some of us have. And this is, at, by the way, at the heart, the heart of what I believe is the heresy known as the prosperity doctrine. It's if I do this, God is obligated to do this. Listen, John is not saying that at all. I believe what John is saying is that I can now come into God's presence because of what Christ has done for me in order that he's going to give me so that I can love better, so that I can give freely, so that I can obey his commands. In other words, I don't obey and love in order to get from God. I get from God in order to love and obey. And in doing so, I touch the world. And the confidence that I have in being in God's presence has nothing really to do with me. It has to do with what Christ has done for me. So my heart is now, through Christ, my heart no longer condemns me because my God is greater. My God is stronger. My heart is free. Now I have confidence to go into God's presence because my heart no longer condemns me because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now I can ask in order that I love better and obey in a greater sense. 
Do you see the turn? We are so bad <laughs> that we flip this to make it all about me. We can flip even these great teachings on prayer to say, this is about me getting what I want to get. I mean, we won't say it quite that ugly because we are, you know, we've been in church long enough to know that's not the way we're supposed to talk. But it's still there if we're not careful. If we're not careful. And you know what? This is, this is how bad we are and how worse the devil is. Because we know that's wrong, and yet we do it anyway, then what happens? The devil is right there accusing us. You're so bad. You're asking for what you shouldn't ask for. And now our hearts are condemning us even more. And we're caught in this vicious cycle. Listen, we need to stand in the grace of God, the freedom of the Lord, to receive this no condemnation from God so that we can go in confidence. We're going to come back to this passage again in a couple of weeks in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. You know this passage well. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Listen, John doesn't just jump there. I mean, we've spent what? How many weeks is this? 11, 12 weeks looking at 1 John? And we're still several weeks away from getting to that passage. When he says we ask anything according to his will, what is his will? His will is that I have fellowship with God and I love people that I follow God's commands of love. That's his will. I'm asking according to his will. It's not about a car or even being healthier or smarter. It's about loving better. Obeying in such a way that the world sees us and knows that we're Christ followers. Again, we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. But you get the idea, right? Third point is this. It is good. Thank you, Mitch. <clears throat> we have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. We have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, and this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands about loving and loving Jesus, loving one another, lives in him and he in him. And this is how we know that he lives in us. How do we know that he lives in us? How do we know that he lives in us? We know it by the Spirit he gave us. How do you know Jesus is in you? Because the Spirit is in you. Is it because of anything you did? The Spirit is a gift poured out on those who follow Jesus Christ. Many people want the material blessings that come in knowing God, but what you really need, what we really need, is the presence of the Spirit in our lives. That is the greatest blessing of God. God sent his spirit, the greatest gift of all, to those of us who believe. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, and the people ask, after they, they feel the weight of it, they ask, what do we do? What? Okay, we did this. What do we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then what's going to happen? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, that was great for them. But now he goes on and says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. 
Hey, we're the far off ones. I mean, we're way far off, maybe, but we're far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. It is the promise. Here's the order of things as John gives them. Believe in the name. He's back in verse um, 22, 23. He says, believe in the name of Christ, meaning the totality of Jesus. If you believed in someone's name, you just didn't believe they existed. You received them for who they were. You're receiving the totality of who Jesus said he was, what he came to do. Then, love one another. If we love one another, keeping his commands, then we live in him and he lives in us. How do we know this? We know it because he's given us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the assurance that we are his. And it's not only the promise that we're his, it's also the empowerment to do what he told us to do. I mean, really. Really, I, I, I love you. I love all of you. But in my emotional state of weakness and being the horrible person that my heart tells me I am, for many people, my loving is more like a loving tolerance. I mean, just to be honest, if it were just up to me, I know I'm supposed to love you, so therefore I, I really basically tolerate you. I know that's the position of incredible arrogance, but it's kind of that self-centered nature. Without the power of the Spirit indwelling, so you're totally offended right now. My pastor, I, he just told me the best he can do is tolerate me this morning. I'm just saying for all of us, we have weaknesses when it comes to loving well. We're pretty well selfish lovers, so to speak. We're only going to love people if in turn they can give something back to us. I mean, really. Instead, by the power of the Spirit, I now have the ability to love you completely. To love you fully. I, I can't obey these commands, honestly. I, I've been, I'm, a, I'm getting to be an old man by now, but I still can't do the thing. I'm getting worse at this rather than better in some ways, if left to myself. But by the power of the Spirit, because yeah, my toleration level, really, it's going down, not up. It's the truth. I thought you'd get better when you got older, but it's less, you know, I know why there are grumpy old people in the world. I'm starting to aim in that direction, and I'm saying, Lord, help me. Help me, Jesus, not become one of them. By the power of the Spirit, we can love better. It's the only way. I mean, it's the way the world will actually see us by the power of the Spirit, loving one another to say, wow, those people, they must be followers of Jesus. We're a church that since day one, has fully embraced the Word of God and the Spirit of God. 100% of both. 100% of the Word of God, 100% of the Spirit of God. Here's some just, you can write these passages down, look them up later. This is not a complete list. This is not a teaching on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But look what the Spirit does and enables you to do. His presence in our lives is a guarantee of our salvation. That's really important, by the way. He indwells every believer when we come to faith in Jesus. We can argue about this point later, the whole baptism of the Spirit, but the truth is, I believe the Scripture teaches that the Spirit of God comes in you when you become a believer. We are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. Don't be drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Spirit of God. A continual action. 
We're to take up and wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in our spiritual warfare against Satan. He gives gifts to every believer. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. I mean, there are more passages. We could just go through these, and maybe we will next year, to look at passages, what happens when the Spirit of God comes. Do we all fall down? I'll get like this. I'll get like people. Things happen that matter in a kingdom business. And to loop back around, look at what Paul says in Romans 8 about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of whom? The Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. There's no condemnation. Our hearts are free because God is greater than our hearts. Therefore, we can come. We have boldness to come in God's presence and ask for what we need, which is more love, better obedience. How do we know this? Because the Spirit of God indwells us. Paul says the Spirit of God indwells you. Now you're set free from no condemnation. It's this circular. They all go together. Through the power of the Spirit, we are set free. This is how we know. We belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. There's another line I think you should underline. Some of us do not have restful hearts. I want to set my heart at rest. Where? In his presence. Because if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Here, here's the brutal brutal, ugly bottom line. If your heart is condemning you, then what's happening is you're saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing it good enough. I'm not doing it well enough. I'm not... Now hang on with me just one second. If I'm not doing it good enough and my heart's condemning me, my heart has taken me there, what does that say about me? What does that say about me? It says I have more faith in me than I do in God. Because here's what God says about me. God says my heart shouldn't condemn me. God says I am free. God says I'm forgiven. In other words, we may not see it like this, but many of us are just in our fake humility, idolaters. Because we have more faith in ourselves than we do in the God who has freed us. Are you with me? How do you set your heart at rest? It is not by doing more good things. You set your heart at rest by believing in faith what God has done for you. Believing what he says about you. Walking in the power of the Spirit and by faith. The truth, the truth is God has forgiven you. Should you be able to forgive yourself? Yes, because of what God has said about you. If you're trying, if you can't forgive yourself, then what you're saying is God is not, God's forgiveness is not great enough. I'm I'm not trying to beat you up again, like bring it back around to where now I'm condemning you. I'm trying to say, hey, get, get off, get away from over there. Because Satan loves having you over there. 
He, la- he loves having you locked in this prison of self-condemnation. Instead, how do we get it? How do we get over it? We don't do it by saying, oh, I'm so condemned, I need to be not condemned. I need to do more. I've got to quit being condemned. No, we do it by faith in God. Faith in him, trust in him, being filled with the Spirit, leaning into him and not ourselves. There's this old story that's told about a Russian czar. I don't even know if this story is true, probably not, but it's a great story nonetheless. This Russian czar, and he had a very close friend who was dying. The man, a nobleman, the the czar went and visited him, and uh, the man said, I'm dying, and I want to ask you a favor. I have one son. My wife has already died. I'm about to die. Would you take him in and watch over him after I die? To which the czar agrees to do. He takes the boy in, who is young at this point, and he does more than just watch over him. He raises him as his own. Well, the boy is adopted into the czar's family, and he's raised, and he becomes a soldier in the czar's army, but he, does, he doesn't turn out to be a very good guy. He has a gambling problem, and he gambles away, has gambled away all the money his parents left him. Now, but to cover his gambling debts, he starts embezzling from the army unit that he's a part of because he was the treasurer in charge of all the resources, so he starts embezzling. You know, one of the things about embezzlement, it can only go so far. I mean, it might go farther for some than others, but someday it's going to get exposed. And the, the young man now realizes he's in so far over his head he can't get out. He, he realizes that his embezzlement is going to be revealed in a day or two. So one night late, he's got the books all open on his table, just showing the, the level of his sin and embezzlement and He decides he's going to take his own life. But he doesn't even have the courage to really do this on his own, so he starts drinking. He starts drinking to try and get to the point where he'll have enough courage to take his own life. Well, as happens many times when you drink too much, you forget why you started, and he just falls asleep on the table. He passes out. Well, as stories have it, the Russian czar would at times dress as a normal soldier or common person to kind of go through his army, to kind of hear what's going on. And so he wanders by the young man's tent, who he knows is there, and goes in. And on the table is a full exposure of the young man's sins. The czar reads it. He takes a letter out, and he basically says... Something to the effect, I cover all debts listed on this page, and he stamps his stamp on it. It's what Jesus has done for you. You, The book of your life is wide open before him. There's nothing hidden in his eyes, and yet he has fully, by fully, I mean fully, covered your debt, your debt of sin before him. He loves you that much. He knows your heart. But he doesn't condemn you any longer. Don't let your hearts condemn you as well. Instead, walk in the freedom that comes from the Lord. Now come boldly into his presence in confidence saying, God, thank you for loving me. I want to love better. 
Let your blessings fall on me in order that I can love more freely, follow your commands more obediently. And thank you for the power of the Spirit that enables me to accomplish all of this. Do you, know, do you need freedom from your heart today? Really, freedom from the condemnation of your heart. It's available through Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Lord, we thank you this morning for your might, your power that is at work in all of us. We say thank you. Lord, I thank you that even this week there have been times where my heart has risen up to condemn me. And when I look to you, when I look to your grace, when I look to your favor, that you are there, Lord, and you're greater than my heart. God, I am so, so grateful. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, for those who are here today who are struggling in this area of self-condemnation, Lord, I pray for freedom that comes in you. May our May we realize it's not really about me. It's about what you've done in me. And may we walk in that, in that grace. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. I just want to lift those up who are struggling. I pray that the voice, the accuser, would be silenced right now. And that we know that we overcome by the blood of Jesus. The word of our testimony, who we are in you, and the fact we love not our lives even unto death. We are overcomers of the condemnation that locks so many of us into a prison that allows us not to love like we should or obey as we should. Today, let freedom rule and reign in this place because where the freedom of the Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.